John, spring training's not that far away. And of course, big story, both locally, nationally, will be Juan Soto joining the Yankees. Can the Yankees back, bounce back from 82 and 80? And Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees, joins us this week on the show. Yeah, a lot of interesting questions about the Yankees. Obviously, their offense is much improved. Are they going to be healthier? Is their pitching deep enough? And Aaron Boone's a great guest, so thank you for getting him. I think that's going to be a great show. Yeah, and look, we also have other big things to talk about. We know who the Hall of Famers are. We know who the Hall of Famers aren't. We'll talk about all of that. We'll play hit and error at the end if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. John, Josh Hader signed, Reese Hoskins signed. Okay, we'll we'll delay that for a bit, right? Uh, we had a Hall of Fame election. Those watching us on the post-YouTube could probably see some curtains that are not mine in the back. I'm up at the Otisaga Hotel, the big hotel in Cooperstown. I was at the uh, uh, Hall of Fame and Museum yesterday for the uh, announcement. Three guys went in. Uh, no surprise, Adrian Beltre uh, cruised in. Probably a little bit of a surprise. Todd Helton and Joe Maurer both got in. Maurer got in by four votes. Billy Wagner missed by five. Uh, you know, the rest of the the top uh, Sheffield in his last year on the Gary Sheffield last year on the ballot, 63.9%. Uh, Beltram, 57.1%. And then you fall down to kind of the A-Rod, Manny, Utley level. John, why don't we start with uh, the good news? We're not usually good news people. Why don't we start with the good news? <laughs> Uh, take take anybody who got in and run with it. What what did you think? Yeah, I like Joe Maurer. I mean, the three batting titles, three out of the seven for catchers. So I, I think he deserved to get in. I thought he got an appropriate number of votes. I wasn't shocked that a few people held out in the first ballot. I'm not about that. So I did vote for him. I like that vote. I think we did well. I'm, I've been a critic critic of our voting in recent years. I think uh, we change our minds too, way too much. We really haven't resolved the steroid issue. Uh, everybody's got a different rule of which steroid guys they vote for or don't vote for. But I thought we did well. I, I thought the results were were, were good. Uh, I did not vote for Helton, but uh, I mean, 953 uh, career OPS, pretty good. So I don't have any complaints. Yeah, I try not to beat up the voting. I think that there's very infrequently pure obvious guys on the ballot you know one one guy's taste test is a, is somebody else's uh are you kidding uh and and i would point out i missed andrew jones when i was going through this he also was up a high and didn't get in seven people got o- over 57 percent of the vote seven guys got over 57 percent you know in most elections you get 57 percent or more you have a big party uh here it's very tough to get three out of four people to agree to anything 
uh, much less who's a Hall of Fame player when, you know, Adrian Beltre kind of is obvious. He has both counting numbers, over 3,000 hits, nearly 500 homers, five gold gloves, and, you know, all the metrics over a 90 war. Uh, Kind of like, to me, the healthy version of Scott Rowland, who got in last year. They're very similar. Athletic, great defensive third baseman with power, and Beltre just did it for longer to me and better. But Maurer and Helton are borderline candidates. And, you know, so is Billy Wagner. So is Andrew Jones. I don't think Carlos Beltran is a borderline candidate, and he doesn't get a lot of love there. Uh, John, the the guy who just missed is Billy Wagner. I know you wrote a column about this. I talk quite a bit about it. I've written about it in years past. 73.8% of the vote. That's that's five votes short. And next year is his 10th and final year on the ballot. If he's taking any encouragement since 2017, last year on the ballot, Tim Raines, Edgar Martinez, Larry Walker all got in. Billy Wagner, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you said seven guys got 57%. I think they all get in eventually, except for Sheffield. Um, you know, Sheffield, had a, this is last time on the ballot. You know, obviously the Veterans Committee could take them up, but uh, they haven't been too kind to the steroid guys, and I don't expect them to be too kind to him. So, um, you know, I'm against Sheffield being in the Hall of Fame, as I'm not a steroid uh, fan. So, uh, you know, I, I get why he got a lot of votes. Uh, he's had a good campaign. Uh, and denials are, I guess, bought by some people. Anyway, on, on Wagner, I mean, that's the big one for us, certainly in New York. Uh, I, I get it. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's a good candidate. Uh, I don't see it. Uh, you know, I mean, I wrote a column. I, I don't even look at my replies. I've been ratioed. I don't know if you know what that means because you're not a, as big a Twitter guy as I am. But uh uh, you know, three three out of four people make comments rather than give me a thumbs up or whatever, a like. So I know that they're not good. Uh, you know, people are going to look at me as the bad guy. You know, we, we make judgments on all these guys. That's what we're there to do. There are 26 guys. You're right. Almost everyone on there was borderline. You can make a case for just about all of them. Uh, Beltre, to me, was a slam dunk. I, I rate him way above Roland because of extra power as well and health. But uh, I get it. Uh, that is a good comparison. Uh, to me, Wagner, uh, he, he has the uh, rate stats. They're fantastic. Uh, you know, obviously he struck out a lot of guys, didn't give up a lot of hits. He's right up there in terms of uh, those stats with Mariano, very close. But he does not have the counting stats. To me, he's going to be passed by Jansen and Kimbrell on the total saves this year. He'll be eighth which is, you know, obviously outstanding. He's one of the top 2% of players all time. But the question is, is he in the top 1.18%? That's basically the top 1%. And, uh, you know, I think the fact that he did not come through in the big games uh, does hurt him here. That is the job of the closer. Um, You know, to me, I, I understand with Hoffman, he wasn't great in the big games either. Didn't have as many opportunities as Wagner but also save 200 more games. So, you know, if you're near the top of the saves list, I think that separates them. So to me, there were two issues with Wagner. You know, I'm sure people are uh, saying what a terrible guy I am and how evil I am and all that, but you got to make a judgment on everybody. I, I think I'm I'm closer to voting for David Wright, believe it or not, than, than Wagner. I'm, I'm closer to voting for Mark Burley. I know I'm in the minority there, but Wagner had a great career, you know, you know, just because he's close and he wants to get in badly and he did have a great career doesn't mean everyone on there is going to think that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. 
Well, a few things. Number one, you really, uh, who gives a damn what we're kind of getting on uh, social media? I honestly, I don't know what ratioed is. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I specifically hardly ever look at my mentions. I certainly don't do it on Hall of Fame Day. I didn't vote for Billy Wagner either. I haven't in any of the nine years. I can't imagine that's going to change in year 10. To me, it's, it's, it's simple. I, I, I agree with you. If, if Billy Wagner ends up in the Hall of Fame, it isn't like, oh, we got to shut the building down. He was a great no. player. There's no such thing. I'm on the screening committee for who gets on the ballot. Like, there's no one who gets on the ballot who didn't have a great career. It means you're played at least 10 years in the major leagues. That's a very low percentage of people who play professional baseball, much less if you want to start going back to Little League and Pony League and high school and college who get to, you know, more people spend less than a year in the major leagues than spend 10 years in the major leagues. And then you have to spend 10 years with distinction. Like, for example, Colin McHugh uh, retired this week. In five years, if I'm still doing this, he'll be on that bigger list where you have to close down to who's on the ballot. Colin McHugh had a wonderful career. To just simply get on the ballot, you got to probably be in the top 10%, maybe the top 8 or 7% of all time just right. to get on the ballot. You had a great career. There's not a bad player. There's not a, a less than an above average player on it. As far as Billy Wagner's concerned, I'm, I, my big thing is if you're going to pitch 900 innings, and you're going to have that job. By the way, I didn't. I never voted for Trevor Hoffman either. I yeah. think that the job is field goal kicker, right? Like, like you got to be Adam Vinatieri. When you get your chances in the big games, you got to make the the field goal. The guy I compare him to all the time is Mike Vanderjack. When Mike Vanderjack retired, he was the most accurate kicker in the history of the league by five percent over anyone else. But he missed the two most important kicks in his career. One that would have won a game in overtime for the Colts in the playoffs, and one that would have forced overtime in the yeah. minute. And, and they were like three out saves, uh, one run saves in the postseason because they were 43 and 45 yards. Go look at his postseason. They're all 22 yard field goals. That's what he made. The two he had to make with a little difficulty, he blew. Adam Vinatieri will get in. He won't. Billy Wagner pitched in 14 postseason games. In three of them, the WPA, the winning plus added, the biggest hit in the game, came against Billy Wagner. Right. Uh, I know the argument. It's a small sample size. One of the reasons it's a small sample size is Billy Wagner's teams kept getting eliminated and Billy Wagner was a reason they were getting eliminated. We saw that firsthand in 2006, John. He the Mets are going to go up two to nothing in St. Louis. The, the, the series NLCS, they're the best team in the National League coming back. He blew game two. They're winning four nothing in game six. He gives up two runs. They win the game and so they get to game seven. But because of that, Willie Randolph doesn't use him in the traditional closer role in game seven, tie game ninth inning at home. And he used Aaron Heilman for second inning. Heilman gives up the winning homer. I, I know this is small sample size, but we're looking for a reason to put somebody in with 900 innings of pitching, right? And as great as those 900 innings are, and they are great, I feel that that job is a specialist job. And if you get to the postseason, you've got to make the most of it. And I just feel like he has a 10-plus ERA in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, look, he got 10% of the vote his first year. Now, I know we, we a, a lot of the voters changed their minds, and Roland was 10% or something like that and got in. Sheffield was like 10% or 12% for five years, and he almost got in. Um, you know, there's a reason he got 10% now. I mean, I know we're going to get ratioed here for this discussion, but you'll tell me what that means later. Yeah. Well, it means a lot of people are commenting, uh, negatively about what we're saying, 
That means they just have time time and anger. That's all they have, John. Time and anger. Ignore them. Okay. How about this? Hypothetically, you're starting a team. You're you're drafting somebody. You're going to get the guaranteed career of Billy Wagner or Mark Burley, who threw 200 innings, 15 straight years, except for that last year for 198 innings, one double digits every year at a perfect game, a no-hitter, and, uh, I mean, was the most consistent pitcher probably in baseball history. Or you, let's say you could, tr- you could take Billy Wagner, or you could take David Wright, who had eight spectacular years. He had about a 50 war through the first eight years. Who do you draft? I don't think anybody would in their right mind. Now, I know some people are going to say you can only compare relievers to relievers. They're all on the same ballot. They're all, I'm comparing them all. You you vote, you can vote for 10. Now I did vote for six. I, so I've got kind of a middle market hall guy. I'm not a small or a big, whatever, but they're all compared to each other. I'm not just comparing them to relievers. Whose career was better between Billy Wagner, Mark Burley, and David Wright? I think to me, the other two had better careers and I came closer to voting for both of them. One of them got 8%. I think the other one got six or 7%. I'm glad they're still alive. I'm Glad we still get to vote on them. I think I'm going to vote for them next year if I have room just to keep it going. But I don't like that 5% rule, but, you know, they're all compared to each other. I'm not giving a special dispensation to the relievers. He has a lifetime war of 27 for a reason. That is a tabulation of a guy's value. Mark Burley's war is about 60. Uh, Bobby Abreu, I don't think is a Hall of Famer, 60. Jimmy Jim Edmonds, 60. I mean, I, I don't think war is perfect, but it certainly downgrades the relievers. And for a reason, there are a lot fewer innings. There is a smaller impact. I think we're looking at these interesting and great stats and overrating not only him, but I mean, is Kimbrell going to be a Hall of Famer too? Because I mean, Wagner, we're anointing him because he had the best strikeout percentage, 11.9. Kimbrell's 14.2 per nine. Is he a Hall of Famer? I, I'm not I sure think- that he is. I actually think Wagner has a lot in common with Kimbrell and Chapman. They are dominant strikeout right. relievers in the regular season. Great and, players. Right. And all of them are guys you don't want on the mound in October. Like, that's what they've shown us. Well, and and Chapman certainly is not a Hall of Famer. I mean, does yeah. any, anybody see Chapman as all of I mean, I, I, I see Chapman. Wagner's ahead of Chapman. But I think they're in a Venn diagram with each other. You know, Chapman is a dynamic power left-handed reliever uh, who – you know, dominates a lot from April to September and doesn't in October. John, we're going long on just Wagner. Let's let's just get to a few more before we have to bounce out of here. I, I have two that I'm curious about. I don't get Carlos Beltran's number. No, uh, he, he was no. at 57.1. Maybe I get people punishing him last year uh, on the first year on the ballot. I didn't uh, because of the 2017 sign-stealing uh, yeah. scandal. But I certainly look at a lot of ballots where there's like Sheffield on it or A-Rod on it. And in the past, David Ortiz on it and stuff and Beltran not on their ballots. Uh, I don't see those crimes as similar. Uh, uh, Beltran in his year 20, like it's it was he was a below average player in year 20. It isn't like he gained any advantage for his Hall of Fame career. Like if this was the morality Hall of Fame, I certainly wouldn't put him in. But for yeah, the but first sportsmanship night, is one of the yeah one of I the get it John but yeah. I I I think people uh, for the first so for sportsmanship 
I think that Beltran won the Clemente Award. He's a key guy for getting translators in the clubhouse for players from other countries who don't speak English as a first language. I think those negate some of the other stuff as sportsmanship. And on the field, he's a five-tool, great switch hitter who's one of the best postseason players in the history of the game and the best percentage stolen base in history for over 200 steals. I... Like, there are borderline cases that are tough for me. He's not a borderline case for me. Yeah, I, I don't get that one either. I, I left him off the first year because of the uh, 2017, which was an embarrassment. I get it. And um, I, I intended to vote for him going forward, and I think he will get in. I'm with you. I don't get it. I, I think he's close to Beltre. I mean, now their name's close. I think their careers are close. Uh, I mean, the the totals may be a little bit higher for Beltre, but – both outstanding defensively, uh, you know, Beltron, a great runner. I, I I don't see it, and I can't imagine that uh, the 42 or 43% that didn't vote for him are just still punishing him for the, uh, for the trash can situation. Uh, I'm with you. I don't get it. 5-2 player who was dominant in October. Now, I think we probably grade October an impact more than some of the other guys. Uh, but to me, that's a huge part of it. And that's a part of uh, the Wagner's situation. Um, but to me, Beltron, I mean, he had postseasons with eight home runs. He had series with five, hit 500. His record, his hitting record is just below Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig in the postseason. And he had 400 something home runs and he had the greatest uh, base stealing percentage ever when he retired. Um He's clearly a Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know, one of the things when people argue about that October shouldn't be important, they're usually talking to me about war. And I always have to point out the W stands for wins. Like, that's the key thing in baseball. You need to win. These players help you win. John, just let's see if we briefly. I was interested in these two things. You decide which one you want to talk about. We spent so many years pre and post these elections talking about steroid guys. I was on television for Almost five hours yesterday. I don't remember A-Rod and Manny's names coming up for five hours. This used to be the key thing. A-Rod, 34.8%. Manny, 32.5%. And yet they were both better than Chase Utley at 28.8%, who I think people kind of like as a Hall of Fame guy. Take any of it and let's close out this segment. Yeah, I mean, on A-Rod and Manny, uh, right, obviously they're proven steroid guys. And... uh, you know, again, I, I hate to criticize us. I know none of the other writers want to do it, but I'll do it. I, I don't get how Sheffield gets votes and A-Rod does, does not. I mean, uh, if you're going to vote for a steroid guy, why wouldn't you vote for an all-time great player? To me, Sheffield, 60 war, outstanding offensively, is over the border, is, an, is a Hall of Famer uh, on his accomplishments, but he's a steroid guy. Why... Maybe you could tell me, why are we overlooking st- his steroids? Because he's he's a good denier. I mean, I think David Ortiz, same thing. He did a good denial, and people liked it. I don't, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I think if there were splitting hairs, and John, I didn't vote for Sheffield for nine years, and I gave in and voted in year 10. I kind of treated it like a cold case, and I went yeah. back in it because I you feel like it was a lesson. about it, though. No, and <laughs> if you watched uh, any of the television yeah. yesterday, I'm admitting – I don't know if I did the right thing. I, 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 This is how I felt about Sheffield. If he missed by one vote and I didn't vote for him, I wouldn't feel good. If he got in by one vote and I voted for him, I wouldn't feel good. Like I was like vexed yeah. about him 
I think on paper, he's like overall better than by a, a degree or two than Edgar Martinez is, which what I came to like Edgar Martinez isn't punished for defense because he didn't play defense. Sheffield's punished for defense and he's a better hitter to me than Edgar Martinez, who I think is a great hitter and who I voted for. And ultimately, it's John, it's a tortured thing. This is one of those things with the Hall of Fame. You 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 certainly have an excellent point. You could rip me apart for it, and I would understand it. Which <laughs> I don't is, think I'll do that. I, but, uh, I think, we disagree. I think, <laughs> I think 2004 is a demarcation point. I know that everyone knew it was illegal before then, but I think there was a lot in the game. Is It's illegal, but nobody's doing anything about it. And if I don't do steroids, I'm going to either not be as good or fall out of the game. I think once February 2004 came around where the rules went in with testing, greater punishment, etc., there was a line drawn of, guys, this is a speed trap now, and you can't say, well, everybody drives 58 in this 55 zone. You're going to get busted if you do. And to me, A-Rod and Manny are beyond that multiple times. And Sheffield, do I think he was clean after that? I mean, I'm not naive, John, probably not, but like he's not <laughs> busted after that. And I kind of, I, it was a hesitant, I kept my ballot on my desk for three weeks with four check marks. And literally before I stuffed it in the ballot, I went to the fifth check mark. And I don't know that I did the right thing. And in some ways, I'm glad I don't have to think about it anymore. He's off the ballot. And I think it's fascinating because I think however a committee is made up, I think you could create a 16-person committee that loves Gary Sheffield. And I think you could create a 16-person committee of the veterans people who hate him. There were certainly teammates who felt both ways. So I'm curious to see how the veterans committee in a couple of years treats them. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's a very good explanation. I, you know, to me, he was caught. <laughs> if you're caught, you're caught. Uh, I did vote. I voted for one steroid guy and that was Barry Bonds. Cause he was a hall of famer before anybody started taking steroids, but you know, I split some hairs myself there. So I get it. Um, so can't blame you, but uh, I frankly, I mean, if Billy Wagner got in, I applaud him. He's a great guy. Uh, but Gary Sheffield, uh, you know, to me, he cheated. He should be. He should not be a Hall of Famer. Uh, and I'm glad we have three quarters because I, I don't think he belongs in. Well, John, I hope nobody ratios us before uh, yeah. our, our next segment, because if you stick with the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, Yankee manager Aaron Boone is up next. John and I are so pleased that Aaron Boone, the manager of the New York Yankees, is joining us on the show. He's at Yankee Stadium uh, as we speak. Aaron, thank you for joining us. There's there's so much about your club I'd love to ask. And I realize, like, one of the things I, I at the top of my mind is you went to dinner with Marcus Stroman uh, in the lead up to deciding what the Yankees should do. And I almost wonder, in your need for pitching, what would he have had to do for you not to sign him? Like, I mean, are you just sitting at that table looking for a reason to like him? Or do you walk away and you are actually very impressed by this player? Well, the latter part's true. I definitely walked away. Um, you know, we had a great meeting together. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know him um, other than probably a bump into here and there and a wave across the field. Um so I, you know, it was important for me, especially I happened to be going down to Tampa for, for some coaches things that we were getting together on. And, 
um, it, it actually synced up and timed up perfectly. And I just wanted to, I wanted to go be in front of them and get to know them a little bit. And, uh, you know, came away very impressed and excited and, and, uh, uh, I'm excited to see what he's going to do here in, in pinstripes. John, can I just ask why, what, what impressed you and excited you? What did you hear? Um, first, I believe this is where he wants to be. And, and that's always, you know, that, you know, comes across sometimes with some guys, you know, you're, you you feel that sometimes you're guessing on it. Sometimes my feel on that was, this is a place that Marcus wanted to be and wants to be. Um, um, I think where he's at physically, you know, kind of working through last year and making sure he's, he's in a good spot physically. Um, he's got a very consistent track record. Um, I think he's trending in the right direction from a winner standpoint into this season. Um, and I just, you know, I feel like there's a competitiveness and a hunger coupled with, um, I don't think there's any other place this guy would rather be that really appealed to me. And, you know, on top of, you know, having dinner together and, and just having a overall pleasant time, just as, as far as getting to know the person a little bit. Aaron, thank, thanks for joining us. You're not only a great guest, I know you're a great sport, too, because I kind of set you up two years ago. And you probably won't remember this, but uh, on MLB Network, you came on. And I, I think my question, uh, rather inartfully worded, was something like, "What what's it going to be like to manage a fourth-place team? Uh, well, you won the division that year, so I, I didn't look too good. And I keep bringing it up, so I'm looking even worse. But uh, so – I appreciate you coming. I, I do want to ask you this year. I think you have a first place team uh, that may be more pressure or whatever. But my one question about this team would be the the starting pitching depth. Uh, do you share my concern there? I mean, I guess that's a concern for every team. But uh, obviously, your your lineups improved. Your team looks good overall. People are healthy. Uh, it does not look like you have a lot of depth at the rotation. Well, um, so obviously, when we made the the move for Juan Soto. Um, that really cut into some of our depth and, you know, especially Michael King, what we think he was turning into as a starting pitcher and Vasquez and Brito and, and the organization being very high on, on Thorpe. So right there, obviously you knock out a lot of depth um, and, and also moved a little bit in, in getting Alex Verdugo over here. Um, that being said, I do feel like we've done a pretty good job of restoring some of that depth behind the first five. Um, this winter and and with what we believe is hopefully our next wave of of Vasquez and Britos, you know, so whether that's, you know, Warren, Hampton, Beater, um, Luis Hill returning from injury this year. Um, we're really excited about the, the signing of Cody Petit. We think there's a lot potentially in there from a depth standpoint and obviously bringing Luke Weaver back to be, you know, kind of that six starter slash long man depending on what's what's needed i do feel like we've replenished some of that depth that kind of six through 11 if you will um and and i think we've also you know kept our powder dry a little bit that as inevitably needs arise you know we're still in a position to perhaps go out and get what we need whether you know something comes up in spring or or early in the season or or hopefully at the deadline when you really declare what you need Aaron, uh, you know, if 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 uh, Cortez and Rodon pitch like the All-Stars they were in 2022, a lot of the healthy All-Stars, by the way, in 2022, rather than the guys who both spent multiple 
long stints on the injured list last year and didn't pitch very well, a lot of these problems go away. Why should Yankee fans believe that you're going to get that better version of Cortez and Rodon? Uh, well, they're not far removed from from being, you know, top end starters. Um, and, you know, obviously they got tripped up a little bit from an injury standpoint. Um, the only thing I would say is they're both really healthy. Um, they're both having really strong winners in our view. Um, you know, I'm in contact with those guys a lot. They're they're They've been in Tampa for most of the month. Um, and, you know, all signs are that they they look really good. They feel really good. They've had the kind of winners they need to have. There's never a guarantee. I mean, it's it, and such is the nature with pitching. But I do feel like they've had the winners that they've needed to have to put themselves in position to be staples in our rotation, which obviously we need them to be. Let me follow up on, on Rodon because uh, he, he wasn't anything like the pitcher he was in 2022. It was pretty obvious Cortez was just hurt. What, what do you think happened with Rodon? Could that be a New York situation? I mean, occasionally we've seen that with the Joey Gallo and here and there that happens. Uh, or do you, you ascribe it all to injury and, uh, you know, just an off year? Uh, what do you think happened? Yeah. And Go ahead. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, he came in the spring and right away was a little behind because he, he got injured. And then as he was kind of ramping back up, had the back issue that popped up that kind of set him back. So it was one of those years where he was just kind of playing catch up all year. And and especially, you know, when you're a big signing and you come to an organization in the middle or later part of the winter, and then all of a sudden you're trying to catch up and it just, you know, everything kind of went against him in that way. And, you know, at the same time, I think it also hit him hard and, and, you know, I think in the right way so far is lit lit that kind of fire that, hey, I need to do everything possible to make sure I'm putting myself in the best position to go out there and be the Carlos Rodon I've been at various times in my career. Um, And so sometimes, you know, going through a season like that can be that little motivating factor that you need. Uh, I'm excited where he's at. You know, my biggest message to Carlos is do everything you need to do to make sure you're you know, ready to go to the post every fifth and sixth day. And I really feel like if he takes care of those things to get him in that position, the results will be there. And, uh, you know, again, you know, so far we're really excited about where he's at from, from the winter standpoint. It probably says a lot about, uh, about me and John that we're uh, eight minutes into talking to you when, when, and uh, we haven't asked you a question about Juan Soto, who was the biggest (laughs) trade of the oh, yeah. offseason. So why, why, why don't I get to uh, Juan Soto? And I'm wondering, you were one of the worst offenses in the sport last year. Can the introduction of just Juan Soto, and I know you got Grisham and, and Verdugo, probably help, helping for much better health along the way also. Just Juan Soto, what does he do to get you from the bottom back to where you had been for a very long time, which is a top offense? Well... I mean, look, he's, he's, I can count on one hand, you know, the hitters you want to argue that are as good or, or whatever as him. And, and we got two of them now in, in Juan Soto and Aaron Judge. Um, but I think it's important to not leave out the, 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 ex, the other pieces that are going to make it what I think on paper or what, as I sit here now, has a chance to be an elite offense, one of the game's best offenses, which, um, you know, I think when you 
miss, you know, three or four core pieces last year for, you know, really extended periods of time, you know, that, that hurt us from an offensive standpoint. And we unfortunately just didn't quite have the depth to, to make it work um, at a level we expect offensively. Um, That being said, I'm, I'm super excited about, again, obviously adding Juan Soto. And when you can hit Juan Soto and Aaron Judge back-to-back in a lineup. But now coupled with where I believe Anthony Rizzo is and DJ and and Anthony Rizzo, and or I said Anthony, and uh, Giancarlo, and the winners they're having that. Um, so I believe that supporting cast around those two guys in the lineup, not to mention Glaber coming off of, you know, an amazing year and going into a contract year, like, I think our lineup has a chance to be really, really special, but, you know, I also caution that with we're in late January. So that's all it is right now. And we got a long ways to go, but I'm, I am, I am very excited about the potential of our offense this year, which was a, was a struggle for us last year. I'm with you as I'm sure everybody is on those hitter rankings. I rank judge number one. I I put Soto three. I have your done Alvarez number two. You can work on that later. I'm more interested in your lineup. Uh, uh-huh. You've got a number of candidates for leadoff between Glaber, uh, Verdugo, maybe even Volpe, who people are predicting a step up for. Uh, where are you thinking right now as the number one hitter? And, I mean, you know, the most obvious one would be Soto 2, Judge 3. Uh, but there's a rumor that Soto prefers 3. I don't know. I don't want to speak for him. Do you, do you ask him about that, or is that kind of the obvious answer on 2-3? Yeah, I know. I know Juan's open to to two or three. So you know, um, but we'll kind of see. You know, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, how does the leadoff spot shake out? And I was really encouraged last year by the second half that DJ had. I feel like finally got over some some foot things that were just lingering for him for a year, and coupled with, I think, made some really good adjustments that in the last two and a half months, really from the all-star break on, he looked a lot more like the DJ we've seen that gets on base a ton. So um, I would love for it to be DJ. And then, and then you kind of fall in from there. But I also feel like that leadoff spot, I want to, to declare itself too. You know, hopefully we have a, the key is having a guy that's going to be able to get on base, you know, that a 35% clip hopefully or better to really put us in a position with judge and, and Soto then, however I go with them to be in a good spot. And um, so we'll see. And I, and some of the guys you mentioned, whether, whether it's DJ, whether it's a Verdugo, whether it's a combination of those two, maybe depending right, left, um, you know, Glaber, I could always slide up there. Um, let's see. Uh, Volpe, if he does take that step, I, I don't think I would do that with Anthony, certainly at the start of the year. Um, but you could certainly see a case where at some point he does that. So I, I want that leadoff spot to declare itself. I Obviously it's a key spot and, and I just want it to be a spot that we can kind of hang our hat on night in and night out, whether it's one guy, whether it's two guys to where we're, you know, getting on base to set the table for what I think could be really special from there on. So with the addition of Soto, uh, the, the, I think Brian Cashman has even said publicly judge is going to play a lot of center field. Uh, mm-hmm. how comfortable are you with that? And do you think a player of his, any player, but certainly one of his size, do you think there's an increase uh, duress on a player to play center field as opposed to right, especially 
home games at your ballpark, right? Yeah. Um, and is it worth that risk? I am very comfortable with it. I I, I actually have been for a few years. Um, I think there is a little bit more stress. I think it's I think it's smaller than some of the people that maybe are against it believe. Um, you know, I think we saw Aaron in his 62 homer year, as healthy a year as he's had playing the majority of his games in center field. Um, you know, he's, he's gotten hurt a lot in right field as opposed to center over the years. So I always say, I've been kind of saying is like, I'm not putting him at running back, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it does make me a little more proactive when I'm playing him a lot in center to use the DH with him. You know, whether that's once a week, whether it's twice a week, whatever it may be. So I'm aware and you're able to measure how much they're actually running and moving in comparison. So you, you pay attention to that, um, you know, but I, I am very comfortable with it. And look, you know, like. I I also understand that, you know, if you know, if if he at some point, you know, tweaks something or goes, you know, it, they're going to jump on the center field, but I, I don't believe and 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 I know Aaron is all on board with with doing it. And I I look, I feel good about it. I'm mindful of it. And again, I it makes me a little more proactive with using using the DH piece. And 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 at the same time, we're also kind of probably getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. We got two months, two and a half months till opening day, and a lot can happen and shake out that. You know, maybe maybe that doesn't even end up happening, but we'll see. But I'm very comfortable with it. Aaron's ready for it. He's preparing for it. And, uh, yeah. Hey, the Yankees made the big move uh, of all the teams in your division. Uh, so there's a lot of focus, obviously, getting Soto. But the reality is your team was 82 and 80. And, frankly, I think you did well to get to 82 and 80. You had a negative run differential last year. Three of the teams were better, frankly, and Baltimore was better by, I don't know, close to 20 games. Uh, where do you where do you feel the team stacks up right now? Obviously, Tampa's always good. Toronto's very talented, and they're still working. Uh, I mean, are you like me? Do you look at you, your team as a potential favorite? Well, look, I, I, th I sit here and I think we have a chance to be really good, and we're going in with, with that focus of we want to be a championship team, and I think um, we have that right to feel that way based on what we're going into spring training with. And, you know, obviously health plays a key role. Look, last year, I think offensively, it was, we struggled, you know, to consistently score runs. And from a starting rotation standpoint, behind Garrett, you know, we struggled. You know, um, you know, Clark Schmidt really had a really strong year, even, you know, he, especially after the first month of the season where, you know, I think he had like a six from, from like late April, early May on Clark was very reliable and very solid. But around that, you know, we had obviously injuries and trying to plug in here and there. You know, I think the one thing we did pretty well was close out games. And, 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 and I, I give the guys a lot of credit too, when the season was, you know, we're pretty much out of it. You know, they, they, by no means mailed it in and finished the season, uh, you know, representative and, and with some pride and, and, you know, playing some of our better baseball when we're a little bit banged up and up against it, frankly. So, um, you know, in the end, obviously it's just one of those seasons that you never want to be a part of, you know, especially as a Yankee. Um, but I do feel like 
in a lot of ways, um, it's, it sharpened the edge and sharpened the focus of a lot of our guys that need to have that bounce back year or need to uh, get themselves in a great spot heading into spring training. And I, I feel like that is happening uh, for us for the most part across the board. One, one of those people clearly, and if uh, you know, social media showed uh, John Carl Stanton in a kind of different physical situation. Aaron, it, it feels to me like if I were sitting today and looking at your roster and said, what's the best combination offense-defense lineup you could run out regularly, it would feel like Verdugo in left, Grisham in center, Judge in right, and Soto DHing, which means Stanton wouldn't start. What's the case for that not being the grouping? And are you ready, if Stanton is the Stanton of last year, are you okay understanding how much you have to win every year, but especially this year, that not playing him if that's who he is. Well, I'm going to do whatever we need to do. That said, I am, I'm excited where I believe Giancarlo is where, you know, his level of awareness and focus heading into the winter and what I feel like has transpired for him. Um, I think it is important that at this point in his career with, with some of the lower body things that he's had just in with his size and frame, like, playing lighter is important. I think he understands that and and we're going to see that. And I really believe there's a big year in there left for him. And uh, we'll, we'll just have to see, you know, where he's at and, and look, the season will declare itself on, you know, who should play and where and when and all that. But um, I would not write off Giancarlo uh, uh, just yet. I'm excited. I'm excited where I believe he's at and where, I feel like his mindset will be coming into spring and I feel like his body will be in a better position to make that a reality. Where are you right now with uh, Anthony Rizzo? I mean, he was having a very good year up until the concussion and it just yeah. completely derailed him. Uh, he tried to play through it because he's the toughest guy in baseball probably, but obviously he was not ready to play like himself. Uh, is he fully healthy? Yeah, he's, he's doing great. Um, you know, I think one of the good things that's happened with Anthony over probably the last, really the, it was the latter part of 22 where he had the, the back flare up on him, which is kind of flared up on him every year. Like since that point, so, you know, going on about, you know, 16, 18 months, uh, knock on wood, he's, his, his back has been really good. And, um, you know, obviously the, the collision and, and the subsequent, concussion was was very unfortunate and just one of those things we couldn't get our arms around um yes i i feel like anthony by the by the really by the end of the season was ready to go and um i just talked to him yesterday um he feels great he's chomping at the bit he's in he's in really good shape which he was last year you know i think he's really had to kind of reshape himself a little bit with with the back stuff that he's dealt with but um i think he's he's ready to go and to be that, you know, staple in the middle of our lineup. I wonder if you could give us uh, a state of your catching situation mm-hmm. right now. Uh, the the yeah. things on my mind is, is Austin Wells on your team? Uh, if he is, uh, do you think he's a major league catcher and uh, physically where's Trevino and how, if it's those two guys, how do you split it up? Kind of a state yeah. of the catching situation. Yeah. So Travis doing really well. He's obviously had the wrist surgery. He's been, he's been hitting, live velo and all that now for probably about a month now he is so he's ready to go he's in a good spot um and and then i was really excited as i know a lot of our 
our coaches and, you know, really getting to see Austin Wells for the first time. Cause remember spring training last year, um, he had, had a rib cage or an oblique or something, uh, early in camp. So we didn't get to see him in spring and that slowed the start of his season. Um, yeah, he's come a long way in the catching department and, I think getting to see that up close and personal in the final month of the season um, gave us some, some peace of mind that, you know, this guy can, this guy can catch at this level. And I uh, thought he did a great job. He's, he's really smart and he's, uh, he's really interested and invested in the things you need to be invested in as a catcher. Right. So that's that relationship with the pitcher nerding out on the game plan and being like into that and obsessed with that. Like, like Trevi's unbelievable at that. Like he goes home and, you know, studying game plans and getting ready for the next day. And, and I think, you know, he, he and Trevi have a great Wells and Trevi have a great relationship um, to where I think that's going to continue. Um, Austin's been in Tampa much of the winter. So, you know, he, he's in a really good place and continuing to invest in, in his teammates and pitchers and, um, so I do think he's a big league catcher. Uh, I think he's really going to hit at this level as well. Um, and then Ben Rorbet, who we're really, really excited about, or I would say we feel like is a big league catcher. And, and obviously last year, once Trevi went down, Ben was the guy that came up and caught Garrett all the time. And, and really, I think certainly earned Garrett's respect, but, you know, I think showed everyone that he is a big league defensive catcher, um, so we'll see how it shakes out. You know, I, I, I do think Austin's a big leaguer and, and ready for that challenge. But we'll, again, we're a long ways away from the end of March. We're with you on Trevino. He's a real student of the game, and we've had him on. Uh, really amazing knowledge. Uh, you know, this is turning into a little bit of an injury report, but I guess that's how last year went. Uh, I want to talk more about the potential of the Martian than the injury. But uh, when do you think he'll be back and how good is he? So we're saying the summer, you know, and, and obviously, I mean, really with anyone, obviously you're not going to rush it, but we're going to make sure he's fully back and ready to play the field full time. Uh, so I would say it's gone according to plan. He's doing well. He's been in Tampa most of the, most of the winter as well. And everything's gone, gone well so far. So we'll see potential wise. I've always like, I think he's going to be a star. I think he's that good. Um, I think he, I think he likes, as we saw, you know, in a very, very small sample, I think he likes being up here where it matters even more and there's more eyeballs on you and those kind of things. I do think he's got that in him to kind of when the, you know, the higher the league, probably the better it makes him. Um, he's, you know, can really run. Obviously, the power, the switch hitter. I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, and you know, the biggest thing right now is is not to rush him and and make sure he's fully healthy and all the way back. And he'll he'll get back with us. Uh, I'm sure at some point this year. But excited where he's at. Excited about how the rehab's gone. But and I think what we're going to see is a really really good player in this league. Great head on his shoulders. Um, humble but very confident kid. Um, and just that wry smile on his face when he plays the game, which which I love. 
One last one for me, a little bit of a curveball, but I, I know you do follow the game, so I'm changing the subject a little bit. You, you also played uh, more than a decade, I'm sure, in, at, major, at the major league level with the Reds, y- Yankees, and Marlins, other teams. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you saw the Hall of Fame results. Uh, what do you think? Are we? Is there somebody we're missing on? I mean, you played for a long time. Is there somebody you played against that you recalled? You said, you know what, this guy's a Hall of Famer, and he's not in yet. I mean, there were a lot well, of guys think, that came close, but only three yeah. made three made it last year. I mean, yeah. yesterday. Sorry. Yeah. Um. You know, obviously, as a player, I tend to be more player, and I guess bigger hall. I think I'm somewhere in between, actually. You know, like I, I do think. And, and like that it is, you know, the most exclusive Hall of Fame pr- that there is. Um, that said, like, I think Billy Wagner should be it. I think Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer. Like, Andrew Jones, to me, is the greatest defensive center fielder we've seen. And, and, and I played with and against, you know, the Griffey, Cameron, Finley, Edmonds, Corey Hunters, like, great, great center fielders that I played with and against. And to me, Andrew's in another class defensively, um, much like a, like Scott Rowland, I think is the best defensive third baseman we've ever seen. Andrew might be the best center fielder we've ever seen. Oh, and by the way, he's got over 400 homers and had a 10 year. So I think Carlos Beltran is, is, is a hall of famer. Um, so those are the, and, and, and I do think Sheffield should have got it, but, you know, so I guess those guys that were kind of close or getting close or, or maybe will eventually get in off the top of my head are guys that I do feel like should be in the Hall of Fame. We're going to have to open extra space in the plaque room for you uh, <laughs> to get everybody in. He's uh, a nice guy. He's, he's a, a nice guy. We're not, I know. We're, 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 I know. We're, I, I actually saw your coverage, Joel, and I, 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 I get a kick out of how much you enjoy saying I didn't vote for him. <laughs> if you notice on the five hours, I'm the only one on the air who actually says who they didn't vote for. I noticed somebody uh, yesterday who didn't vote yeah, for somebody talk, talked positively about him anyway. Anyway, it's not a big deal. <laughs> not that I was upset by it. I was actually going to ask you the Hall of Fame question to close. So uh, I, let me ask you one last Yankee one to close. You, we mentioned yeah. Volpe's name earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I assume you're going to say Volpe will have a progression here. So I want to ask a bigger picture question. Do you think there was a flaw in the hitting program with your team last year that swept him up in it? And do you think that there needs to be, is there a shift being made? And is that shift going to be helpful to someone like him? Well, I'll answer that in a way of, of Anthony. Like, look, I think Anthony has all the, the, the intangible things. And one of the reasons, as big a reason as any, that we committed to him from opening day last year after having not really played much AAA at all is what we believe in the makeup. And one of the things I love about Anthony is he loves all the little things that you got to love to be really great at this game. You know, the, the behind the scenes, the stuff that's not the sexy fun, the stuff that's hard. And I fully believe that, you know, he definitely obviously had his ups and downs at the plate last year and had some holes that got exposed. Um, I really feel like he has the the makeup and the wherewithal and the intelligence and athleticism to um, make those necessary adjustments. And, and I think we'll see that how incrementally this year remains to be seen. But I think you'll see a better offensive player and and uh, 
And I think you'll continue to see that throughout his career. Yeah, Aaron, ju- ju- just for the record, I actually hate talking about who I didn't vote for because what gets lost is in, in all what really gets lost in all of it is like, like if it's I look how at good Trump, they are. Yeah. Like, by they're the way, good. you, they're you played, great. you know how great a player you were, your dad were like, you know what I mean is to play 10 years in the major leagues. When you think about the funneling system from little league up to just make it and then make it for a sustained period. Now we're talking about guys like Billy Wagner and Andrew Jones, whatever you think of, they're better than 98% of the players that have ever played in the history of the major leagues. Yes. I, I, I didn't vote for Billy Wagner, and I was rooting for hell that Billy Wagner would get in because I don't want to say on I, – I feel like I have to be honest, but I don't want to keep talking negatively on television about somebody who I think is better than 98% of the players who's ever played. Yeah, I I I I, I hear you, and that, and that does always get lost, and that's why I wish in watching some players that they'd be a little more honest if they think of – you know, just because the guy's – you're leaving them just out of the Hall of Fame doesn't make them, like you said, not a great player. Yep. Uh, Aaron, uh, we appreciate so much you joining us on the show. Uh, I'm sure we'll both see you in Tampa in a few weeks. Good luck with your spring training. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Of course, we thank Aaron Boone for joining us on the show. John, hit or error? I'm going to go error. I, you know, I, I've praised us for the uh, – Hall of Famers that did get in. I think Helton was a good candidate. I think Maurer and Beltre were great candidates. So I think the result was good, but I'm going to say error. We are way too wishy-washy. I don't understand all the vote changing. I've done it occasionally myself. I did it with Ron Santo on the final ballot. I've done it a couple other times. I did start to vote for Jimmy Rollins, but I mean, to have so many guys go from 10% to 65 to 75%, it's, it seems to be all about the social media and the influence. I'm at a point right now where I think the ballots should all be secret. I think people are afraid to be criticized. And I think they're just voting for popularity rather than, rather than voting for the people they actually think should be in the Hall of Fame. Because everybody is, as we talked about on the show, everybody is afraid to be ratioed. Except for you. Everybody else is afraid to be ratioed. I, I, John... I swear to you, I would know. <laughs> I, I never heard the term before today. Couldn't give a damn one way or the other. Uh, just don't. I don't look at the mentions. There's no. If you told me I was going to walk through a door and get punched in my face, I wouldn't walk through the door. That's a door I know I'm going to get punched in the face. I just assume for my mental health, not walk through that door. Uh, John, for my hitter era, I'll. We've done a lot of Hall of Fame talk. I'm actually going to do the uh, the Brewers signing of Reese Hoskins. Uh, I kind of like that the Brewers are a little pissed off that Greg Council left. And that they're going to try to win this year, right? right? Like they haven't traded Burns yet. They haven't traded Willie Adamas. Will they eventually between now and the trade deadline? Well, let's see how they play. Uh, But right now they're kind of like, this is the money we have. Let's try to. And, you know, they've been good at these little pieces, putting it together and making the math work to win. Well, obviously it's not been a great division, but they're, they're, they're contenders every year. I'm curious, post council, uh, you know, what that looks like. Yeah, and Hoskins was linked to the Cubs more than any other team. So I don't know if that was any factor. They clearly needed a first baseman. They had been talking to bringing back Santana. They spent a little bit more here to get a two-year deal with an opt-out. You know, I think the Brewers are favored in that division. You know, I mean, we were all talking about whether they were going to trade Burns for months. And right now they've got Burns. they got Peralta. they got a lot of outfielders. they got that kid Churio who's going to be a sensation. Uh, I think they're a team to watch, certainly in that division. And uh, I think they win that division again. 
Yeah, I can't wait for Cub uh, Brewer games this year. They're going to be very, very interesting. Uh, John, uh, just this is the last chance for us to just mention this. I want to mention it as we uh, leave the show here. Uh, the show's a finalist in the 2024 Sports Podcast Awards for Best Baseball Podcast. We need your votes, of course. Go to sportspodcastgroup.com, click vote now, and vote for the show under Best Baseball Podcast. The voting does end January 28th, so we're moving up for that. We always appreciate your support. We always appreciate the support of our two um, producers, Andrew Hartz and Jake Brown. Thank you so much. Uh, don't forget Apple, Spotify, wherever you uh, listen to podcasts, rate, review. We're on YouTube, the New York Post uh, sports page. And John, uh, next week... I'm actually leaving for spring training uh, because the Dodgers and Padres open early because they open early in Korea. So it's right upon us now. So stick with us on the show and we'll take you through the travel spring training regular season postseason. We'll see you next week.